Welcome to the 14th Freedom of Form Foundation podcast. The Freedom of Form Foundation is a 501c3 charity promoting and funding research into science and technologies for enabling freedom of form, and we accept donations online. The links will be below. I'm your host, Atamanasa Kitsune, and today we have a distinguished guest, the renowned expert in autism and animal behavior, Professor Temple Grandin. It's really great to be here. I'm a professor of animal science at Colorado State University, and I'm also autistic. I had no speech until age four, and I want to thank my mother and wonderful teachers I had, both in elementary school and uh, in high school, to help me to be successful. Yeah, it's fantastic that you've been able to adapt yourself so well to um, the differences between yourself and your peers. I got bullied horribly in high school. Um, Elementary school went really quite well because my um, elementary school teacher explained to the other children that I had a disability that was not visible, like a wheelchair, that they should not be bullying me. So elementary school was good. High school, regular school was horrible. And in ninth grade, I got kicked out because I threw a book at a girl who called me a retard, ended up going to a special boarding school for kids with problems. Got a lot of bullying there too. Um, they put me to work uh, running a horse barn, cleaned a lot of stalls, learned how to work. But the thing I learned was friends through shared interests. Even though I was bullied, there were several students I was really good friends with because we both had the same interest in, in riding horses. We also had an electronics lab. I had friends there. And my science teacher ran the model rocket club. And so those were three activities where... Um, we had shared interests and the bullies did not do any of those activities. And I can't emphasize enough um, the importance yeah. of friends to a shared interest. That's um, certainly something that I believe is borne out in my experience and those of several others I know. Um, so uh, I, I believe that um, my first interaction with you um, was on Twitter, something like 10 years ago, when I pointed out the Fox Farm experiment with Yudmila uh, Trutt et al. at the uh, Institute of Cytology and Genetics in Novosibirsk, Siberia. Uh, and it was very nice to see it included in the book, uh, Genetics and the Behavior of Domestic Animals, the second edition. Um, it was heavy reading, to be honest, but I read it all. Uh, how was it for you and Mark Deesing to write and compile that it was really really good it took a lot of searching back in the old stacks but one of the things that the original belia experiments showed and they were done back in the 70s is they wanted to breed a fur fox that uh, wouldn't bite your hand off and so they just started selecting for gentle fur foxes these were farmed fur foxes in russia and they ended up with a gentle fox but they also ended up changing the shape of the fox and the color. The fox ended up looking like a border collie dog with the black um, long fur and the white um, ruff and uh, had a shortened muzzle, more stocky uh, body shape. See, traits are linked and it's still not fully understood today how traits are linked. That's um, quite fascinating, really. And it's one of the reasons I read the book cover to cover. Um, It took me a while, but, you know, it was worth it. Um, So I I do recommend that book. Um, And uh, tell us um, some more, though, um, about your current work at Colorado State. And do you still um, connect that with um, studying genetics? Well, I'm interested in continuous traits. You might be interested to look online at my genome has been scanned. And um, people are kind of looking for the autism gene. Guess what? You're not going to find that. Yeah, I had a few of the at-risk genes. And when they did one of the real quickie type um, uh, autism at risk tests, um, actually, I came up with no risks, which is ridiculous. But you probably have hundreds of (laughs) code variations uh, in the same code that makes human beings have a large brain you're not gonna get rid of autism. It's completely embedded. And that's not the result that they wanted to find from that genetics testing. Now, what did show up is some health issues that could potentially save my life. Um, Simple, um, more Mendelian type of genetics showed that I have a bleeding disorder. And if I've ever given blood thinners, they have to be very, very careful on the dose. Like if I have hip surgery, they have to be very, very careful to make sure I don't bleed to death. Uh, they also found out why yeah. my teeth are so horrible. I got dreadful teeth and I decided not to get um, tooth implants. And I'm really glad I did because genetic testing showed that my jaw could have fallen apart. So 
that information was extremely useful. But um, there's a, the autism genetics is, is, is the same genetics that makes brains big. There's a wonderful paper called Genomic Trade-Offs are autism and schizophrenia, the steep price for a human brain. That's why Cicola. And you can search it online just using the title Genomic Trade-Offs, Autism and Schizophrenia, the Steep Price for a Human Brain. Because the same genetic code, and there's hundreds and hundreds of bits of code that give human beings a gigantic, huge brain, are also the same genes uh, that um, cause autism and schizophrenia. Another very interesting thing that's shown up in the genetics literature is that genetic variants associated with normal variation in animal behavior are also associated with autism. Um, for example, um, I did some of the first studies on cattle temperament. This was over 25 years ago. My student, Bridget Rosanay, found that if cattle jump all around and get really scared when you're handling them and squeeze shoot, they'd have less weight gain. So you basically have um, genetic code that involved with fear behavior. And that same genetic code is uh, showing up people with autism. I have overactive fear system. So it's, it's very embedded, highly conserved genetics. I see. Um, that's quite fascinating. So um, would you say that that um, connects to um, how you think about things from a more visual perspective than most? Well, it's obvious to me in looking at uh, everything I think about is a picture. And uh, in my book, um, The Autistic Brain, I discuss uh, three different kinds of thinking. You've got the object visualizer. That's me. That's the person that thinks completely in pictures. And if you watch the HBO movie, Temple Grandin, it shows exactly how I think in pictures. Then you have the visual spatial, more mathematical thinker who thinks in patterns. And then you have the word thinkers that think completely in words. There's actually a whole bunch of research that supports this. And one of my big concerns is that um, us visual thinkers have a hard time doing algebra but uh, you need us for all kinds of engineering purposes. Yep. You see, let's say, let's say you make an engineering mistake. A visual thinker sees a risk and a mathematician calculates it. You need both kinds of, uh, both kinds of thinkers. Yeah. Now, looking at animals, I can remember taking a genetics class um, when I was an undergraduate. This would have been in the late 60s. And there's kind of two ways you can have the genetics. You can have, um, you know, the real simple kind of genetics, like a black Angus cattle, for example, will put a black coat on every other kind of cattle you breed it to. That's simple Mendelian genetics. Yeah. But then you have other situations where you put two breeds of dogs together and they look like half and half. That's not explained by the kind of genetics we studied in the 60s because mm -hmm. there's some kind of continuous trait there. Yeah, and perhaps it's a more complicated combination of uh, genetic switches. Well, my my uh, years later, I went back and I visited my old genetics teacher, and he said I asked some very deep questions. And this was like 30 years later when I saw him. Yeah. Um, well, that's, uh, you know, always good to think about these things on a deep level. Uh, so moving along, um, I have a question from my brother who is somewhat on the spectrum. Uh, and he said, from your perspective, is there a right way to speak to uh, a woman who is severely autistic? Uh, with light rules of thumb for well-meaning neurotypicals and others on the spectrum needing to have uh, a bit of help understanding interactions with each other. Well, one of the things that a lot of so-called neurotypicals don't understand is um, sensory problems in autism. You know, that when I was a little kid and a school bell went off, it was like a dentist drill hitting a nerve. And uh, it's hard for somebody, you know, regular person to understand a sensory oversensitivity. And if there's one area where there needs to be a lot of research, it would be, you know, therapies for sensory oversensitivity. And for some kids yeah. that don't like the school bell or they don't like the hairdryer, one of the things that can help is just having the child turn it on and off himself where they control it. Yeah. Um, but that's so something I... that I can remember, you know, 30 years ago, having discussions with doctors that didn't believe that sensory issues existed. You know, now the research is very clear. 
I've looked up a lot of the brain scan research and there's evidence that certain loud sounds set off every fear circuit in the person's brain. So you get a fear response because I've learned from some brain scans that were done on me that I have an overactive um, fear uh, system. The amygdala is three times larger than normal. I see. Is this also connected to other sensory inputs like touch? Yes. And the thing about sensory problems in autism is it's extremely variable. Um, I have problems with sound sensitivity and touch sensitivity. But I can remember reading some of Donna Williams's uh, books, Somebody Somewhere, Autism and Inside Out Approach. And she described visual processing problems where images would yeah. break up. Uh, I do not have the visual processing problems that Donna Williams described and which some other people have described, you know, in their writings where images can actually break up and pixelate like a bad satellite TV. Um, and that, I think some people that remain nonverbal have this problem where seeing is a jumble because the circuits in the back of the brain that assemble the graphics files are not working correctly. Uh, but to me, sensory issues would be the big number one area of research because they can be very debilitating. My sensory problems now are nuisances. They're no longer debilitating. And this may be partly due to being on antidepressant medication for the last 40 years. And I describe that in my book, um, Thinking in Pictures. I have a whole chapter where I describe my experiences with taking antidepressant um, medication. I see. And it's a little ironic that just as we're getting to the book about thinking in pictures, we're having to switch off our cameras. Well, I'll try and put it back on for a minute and see um, what happens. Okay, and I'll try to stay real still because that also helps. Um, so it started to it started to really mess up when we were talking about the uh, started talking about the sensory issues. Yeah, which um, funnily enough um, was quite descriptive of how the sensory issues can feel for you. Is that right? Well, sensory issues, I mean, sensory issues are really important. And 30 years ago, you had a lot of doctors that didn't think sensory issues existed. And sensory issues can be yeah. one of the most debilitating things because it can make it very difficult to tolerate a normal environment. I have problems with touch sensitivity. I can't stand scratchy clothes. I have problems with um, uh, loud noise. When I was a little kid and a school bell rang, uh, it was like a dentist drill hitting a nerve. And sometimes you can desensitize a child by getting them to turn on the dreaded sound. So if it's a vacuum cleaner or a hairdryer, you have the kid control it where they turn it on and off and they control it, period. Uh, that's, um... And then you have, then uh, there's other people. Um, I've, re I've read other descriptions where people are, are describing images breaking up, like a really bad satellite TV getting pixelation. Uh, yeah, because the brain is not processing the, the visual images correctly. I don't have this problem, but there's some other people that do have it. And it can make reading extremely difficult. But these things are real. And there's also some research that shows that when something like the loud noise goes off, when the person's in the MRI scanner, it turns on all the fear circuits in the brain. And that's why they, it hurts. You know, that I've yeah. read some of the writings about the intense world syndrome where, see, the other problem this causes is that a lot of social environments are extremely noisy. And so some of the places where people are social happen to be noisy places that are more likely to cause sensory problems. Also, I can't follow conversation if there's too much background noise. I can't hear it. I can't screen out the background noise. That's still a problem for me. I found that was occasionally a problem for me too, actually. So... Uh... <laughs> You know, it's, it's quite interesting because I've never been diagnosed as such um, with autism or um, Asperger's, although I've always had a little bit of a, um, a, a sort of back of the mind suspicion that it may be possible that I'm somewhat on the spectrum somehow. It's a true continuous trait. I have yeah. been out to Silicon Valley. I have visited the tech companies. I've seen the programmers out there. Autism is a true continuous trait. You said brain can be more thinking and cognitive, or brain can kind of be more social-emotional. You see, being social-emotional eats up a ton of processor space. Now, when does being slightly geeky uh, turn into autism? It's truly continuous. 
You see, one of the problems we got with the verbal thinkers yeah. is since they put a word on it, then it makes it not continuous to them. It's a completely continuous trait. And this is one of the things in studying a little Belyev papers, um, continuous traits. Back when I was in, in college and I was asking about the two breeds of dog being mixed together. And then you look at other mixed breed dogs yeah. and you can see the traits there. Uh, it's not simple Mendelian, like black Angus cattle put a black coat on every cattle they breed with. Yeah. So um, I suppose we've um, gone into uh, the weeds a bit, so I'm just trying to figure out which question is the best one to ask you next. Well, let's say, uh, how do you best um, express yourself? Well, I get really interested in talking about interesting things, you know, like different ways that people think. I think it's interesting. I can remember when I was uh, in my 20s, I thought everybody thought in pictures. I didn't know that other people thought in words. And when I was in my late 30s, I discovered that other people think in, in, um, in words. It was a shock to me. And that there's some people that have almost no images in their mind. That was shocking to me. For example, if you say, think about a church steeple, how does it come into my mind? A visual thinker will start naming them off and seeing them. But I asked several speech therapists about the church steeple, and all they got was this vague, pointy thing. They hardly had it, didn't have any images. And that yeah, was yeah. a shock to me. And I discovered that before I read any of the scientific research. You know, when I did my book, The Autistic Brain, I had already figured out that there was a photorealistic visual thinker, a pattern thinker in math and music, and a word thinker. And then I discovered the Koznikov papers, and I can never say that name correctly, where she used a scientific study to show that object visualizers like me and the mathematicians are different kinds of thinkers. And further research fully supports that. That's been published since I did the autistic brain. I see. Um, oh, that's fascinating, really, isn't it? Uh, if you... If you are uh, asked to to draw something or to to do a, a creative task, do you feel that that is something that you can adjust to and do, or do you feel much more comfortable with logical things? What works best for you? Well, when I design equipment, what I first had to do, I have to know what stuff looks like. I can't draw steel fencing if I don't know what it looks like. And so when I was first learning all about cattle handling equipment, I went to every feed yard in Arizona and some in Texas, and I actually handled cattle in all these different facilities. And then I kind of had them videotaped into my head. And then in designing new systems, I took all the good bits and combined them together and threw out all the bad bits. And I described that process in my book, Thinking in Pictures. In fact, this has now just come out, the new 25th year anniversary edition. It has a new afterward with some of the latest research in it. You've uh, certainly been quite um, prolific in writing books, but I think they're all quite interesting and they all go in a slightly different direction, don't they? Well, they're all kind of in a different, in a different niche. Um, thinking in Pictures, that's my autobiography. Uh, and I know that some yeah. people on the autism spectrum call that the lived-in experience. Well, that would be my lived-in experience, where the autistic brain is a much more scientifically oriented book. I see. So when you look at cattle uh, and you picture things from their perspective uh, and it helps you to solve problems for the animals and those handling them, I think that's... Uh, well, well the, one of the first things I noticed in handling yeah. cattle, being a visual thinker, and at the time I did not know that other people were not visual thinkers, is that a shadow, a sharp shadow would make them stop. A coat hanging on a fence, a chain hanging down, a truck parked next to the fence, you know, kind of visual distractions, uh, some little thing yeah. that shakes, they would notice and other people weren't noticing that. And it was obvious to me to look at what the cattle actually were seeing. And uh, this, this really helped to streamline things with them, didn't it? Well, it helps a whole lot because you remove the visual distractions and it will greatly improve uh, animals uh, moving through the uh, facility. In fact, my one of my students, Dennis Wilson, has got a nice paper up online where, where he um, went to a small meat packing plant and on the sunny days, when the sun cast uh, shadows of fences with very sharp shadows, the cattle were 
often refuse to walk over those shadows. And on a cloudy day, they'd move a lot more easily because you wouldn't have the sharp shadows. And we've got, he's got a very nice paper that we just put up, got it online in the meat science uh, just a few months ago. That's uh, interesting. So uh, uh, how does it feel, though, for, for you to be in that position where you um, uh, are able to uh, apply uh, this kind of visual perspective um, from the animal point of view? Uh, does it have any echoes to you of uh, the book and movie, Dr. Doolittle, for example? Well, animals don't have words, but animals have lots of ways that they communicate. They do a lot of communicating by tone of voice. High-pitched sounds are often distress calls. In another one of my books, Animals in Translation, in um, Animals in Translation, um, I review the work of a, like, I have difficulty pronouncing his name, a Slobobunov or something like that. Um, he studied uh, prairie dogs, and they actually have calls that have noun-like functions, verb-like and adjective uh, functions to describe uh, different predators, um, you know, threatening them or attacking them. It's some very, very interesting work. The, when you look at what makes an animal different than a human, obviously they don't have verbal language, but they have complex communication. The other big thing is we simply got a bigger brain. Our, our thinking part of our brain is just huge. We got a giant computer sitting up there that a dog doesn't have. But emotionally, we're very, all mammals are very, very similar. And in uh, my book, Animals Make Us Human, uh, and we, did, we discuss the, um, uh, Catherine Johnson and I discuss the Jack Panska seven emotional systems all mammals have. And they are fear, anger, they are separation distress, That'd be the same as grieving. You separate a calf from the mother cow. You have seek or exploration, the urge to explore. Of course, you've got sex. Then you've got nurturing. That's the oxytocin system. And then you've got play. And all mammals have them. That's the same. We just filter it through a much bigger computer sitting up here. So we get to yeah. lose SpaceX and the dog doesn't. Oh, by the way, Elon Musk is autistic, the head of SpaceX. Yes, he uh, announced it himself, I believe, on Saturday Night Live. Yes, he did. And I've always thought he was autistic. When I read Ashley Vance's book about him a number of years ago, and I marked up the book where I thought he was autistic, but now I can say it. Yeah. Um, well, it's um, uh, kind of, I suppose, similar to the so-called gaydar, isn't it? You know, those who have the trait recognize it in others. Oh, yeah, I recognize it. In fact, what happens all the time, I talk to grandfathers all the time at autism conferences, and they'll recognize that they have autism when the kids get diagnosed. Also, yeah. when the kids get diagnosed, they'll recognize the traits in close relatives. I recently went to a very large lawyers convention to do my different kinds of minds talk. These are top lawyers. I mean, arguing cases in, in the Supreme Court. I mean, some of our top lawyers. So they're super smart lawyers. And I was amazed at the number of them that came up to me. They either had autistic kids or close relatives that were autistic. I always have a certain amount of that at these meetings for these lawyers. I probably had double the amount coming up and telling me that. So um, I think being smart and autism is related. That's um, interesting. It suggests that maybe um, over time, uh, as more people are better educated and um, we have a greater number of people living in cities and having to kind of, you know, get along with each other um, and evolution is seemingly leading to larger brains over time. And we, we could see an increase in the number of people who class as autistic or Aspergic in some sense. Well, it's you know, basically Asperger's is just the uh, no speech delay. You see, the, the other big problem you've got is they, is they keep changing the guidelines. You know, you know, yeah. years ago, to be autistic, you had to have speech delay, early speech delay, which I had. I was at the age of three. I looked really severe. I had no speech, screamed all the time, rocked. And then you have the person that's just socially awkward with no speech delay. And they used to be considered mm -hmm. two separate conditions. And then they merged it all together. And now you've got this big, big, uh, huge uh, 
spectrum going from Elon Musk and probably Einstein, he had no speech delays three, to somebody who can't dress themselves and it's got the same name. And I was just talking to a mom today and her fully verbal son is in a special ed classroom with nonverbals and he's in high school. And uh, they're very different kids that need different services. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, on, on the more sort of extreme end of that, um, I understand you found that uh, introducing pressure around the body um, could definitely assist with oh, I, um, And that's why squeezing, which I describe in here and in detail in my book, Thinking in Pictures. And I got the idea of a cattle squeeze shoot. When, I, when puberty hit, the anxiety, just horrible anxiety, horrible panic attacks. My nervous system was uh, turned on fear for over nothing. I've since found out that it's yeah. all biology. It was all biology. Uh, and I came to that conclusion after I went on the antidepressant medication, which is completely described in Thinking and Pictures. And I prefer to have you read it. I don't want any misunderstandings about drugs. And there's way too many drugs given out. Oh, to candy. There's way too many drugs given out stupidly. I talked to a teenager just 10 days ago where they got him hugely fat on the wrong drug. And then they put him on another drug that was terrible. And they wrecked his ability to do math. Uh, totally horrible. But yeah. on the other hand, I can't be totally against medication because it saved me. My panic attacks got worse and worse and worse as I went through my 20s. By the time I was in my early 30s, I was being ripped apart with colitis attacks and all kinds of stress-related health problems and a low dose of an old-fashioned antidepressant. Yeah. I'm right down. I'm still on it. I don't dare stop taking it. The only side effect is I got to drink a lot of water. Fair enough. I think that's a, a reasonable side the effect. Squeezing, the, okay, let's go back to the pressure. The deep pressure yes. really helped me. So I built a padded like cattle squeeze chute that worked with an air cylinder where I could control it. See, this control thing's really important. And I got to where I could tolerate people hugging me. Yes. And the deep pressure of wide areas of the body is calming. And just today I went to the dentist and they did x-rays and they put that apron on me. I kind of like that apron. I had it on just this morning. Yeah. They did, did some tooth x-rays. They came out really good, fortunately. Um, so you're saying you like the apron because it puts some it's pressure weight. on you? It's a lead-weighted yeah. apron for the x-ray. They put that on you at the dentist when they do the tooth x-rays. And and uh, it's kind of heavy. And and then they had to check to see whether I had cancer. So it goes like this around my neck. It actually felt really good. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, That's so pressure and and uh, I and then there's you know a lot of OTs will use much simpler things in the squeeze machine like weighted blankets, a weighted vest, things that are a whole lot simpler. And I loved uh, yeah. heavy bed covers because I like the weight. Yeah, um, even if the weather perhaps doesn't need them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's hot enough yeah. that, that um, we got we had hot weather, very hot yeah. weather this summer, and I just have one tiny window air conditioner that like tries to cool it off. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the hook machine then, where can we get one? Well, there's actually a company that makes them, the Therapin Corporation, and the drawings are available. Uh, you're going to have to have quite a bit of expertise to build those drawings. You have to be way beyond the IKEA book, book uh, case level. Um, but uh, you can look up Squeeze Machine, Temple Grand, and Squeeze Machine drawings. They're online. And it's and these pictures of it in also in thinking and pictures in my first book, Emergence Labeled Autistic. So uh, did you say there's a company that actually sell them? Yeah, there's a company that makes them. It's called Therafen. Um, uh, it is spelled T as in Tom, H as in Hotel, E, R as in Robert, A, F as in Frank, I, N. And they're in Illinois, Therafen Corporation. They've been making it. Now, the downside of that is they're expensive. So I think for yeah. most people, weighted blankets, um, weighted vests, things that you can make yourself, you'll get, you know, some of the same effect. Okay. Um, 
Thanks. So now we, I've noticed we still have a good sort of 15 minutes or so to go. Um, and so there's a couple of questions I was keeping in reserve. Um, and one of them, which I was going to put in the middle, but we, we didn't really get the conversation to the point for it, was without naming names, have you ever met someone who is on the spectrum that you simply cannot stand despite trying to? No, I have no answer for that. Fair enough. <laughs> I have other, I have people, there are certain people, well, I'm thinking of a few people I really despise, and they happen to not be on yeah. the spectrum. But some of the people I really dislike the most. Hmm. And the, the reason I was asking is because um, I heard an anecdote, and it was just an anecdote, so take it with a grain of salt, of course, um, that there are... Um, obviously di difficulties for neurotypical people understanding autistic people, but that some of the people who have the most difficulty understanding autistic people can be each other. Well, one thing I've learned is I've gotten older, I've gotten a lot more flexible in my thinking. You know, one of the issues is black and white thinking. See, a person on the autism spectrum is a bottom-up thinker. See, a verbal thinker makes a broad concept, you know, okay, like neurodiversity or something like that, inclusive classroom, but they have no idea how to... Um, implement it or let's look at um okay jobs for people on the spectrum you know some jobs are really terrible like a busy takeout window well the way my mind works if you load more information into my database then i can make gradations i you have, as i've gotten older i've gotten more flexible because i've had more experiences i've read more i think it's very important for you know uh, autistic people teenagers to get out and get jobs and get out and do things and i've had parents say to me well he or she just blossomed at this job at the auto parts store or an office supply store and those are good choices because they're relatively quiet and you're recognized for knowledge of the merchandise that's in there i'll give you an example yeah. of how my mind works like a spreadsheet all right let's just take concepts like good and bad well it's by specific example Okay, if I put gum on the teacher's chair, that might be his mistress. If I steal a newspaper or an apple from a store, that's not robbing a bank. Okay, even in criminal yeah. law, misdemeanors and felonies, um, robbing a bank is not killing somebody. You see how, how now you yeah. to really understand these gradations, I uh, probably want at least three or four examples in each box on the spreadsheet that's bottom up thinking yeah. and that's the same way computers think but to make that work you have to put in a whole lot of data otherwise you might think that putting gum on the teacher's chair is as serious as robbing a bank which is not absolutely and um that's something that we've um we've seen this this kind of tricky um a problem where where some people have difficulty grappling with gradated um, data. Well, um, you have to, but you see, I had problems with that too. Yeah. Until I experienced all, I didn't more things. You got to load information in the database. So when I think in pictures, each little bit of information is specific. When I mention the bank, I see our the bank I go to. Yeah. Um, I see a bank I went to as a child. Uh, stealing a newspaper, but what I'm thinking a newspaper of now is... rack in, in the grocery store. It's specific. Yeah. And then I can think about good things that I've done. You help an old lady across the street. Well, that's probably not Mother Teresa. Um, I remember returning to uh, helping two people get their wallets back at the airport. And one of them I had to, the, the lady had left the, it in the, in the toilet and I took it to the information desk and she got it back. Mm -hmm. Now I'm remembering that. Um, so, it's specific. There's specific examples. Yeah. I can't remember which airport it is. I can tell you which airport it was not in. It was not Denver, which is my home airport. So uh, what I'm getting at is that these these gradations tend to um, play out in politics and society quite a lot, and um, some people will uh, perhaps become more. Uh, extreme when they don't recognize um, the gradated nature of the subject matter. I am I am horrified at, at uh, with some of the COVID stuff, and I'm not going to talk about it because it's gotten so polarized. But it's impossible to have a logical conversation about certain things, so I just avoid it. 
because if I get into that, um, I call it, you know, skunk spraying contest, uh, it's going to interfere with the things I care about. And one of the things yeah, I really care about right now, I'm very, very concerned about, visual thinkers like me cannot do algebra. And right now we're getting screened out of more and more professions, you know, like veterinary technician, for example. You don't need algebra for that. That's a veterinary nurse. And I'm very concerned about this. Um, and you need us visual thinkers. Who's going to fix things when the floods wreck the, uh, the power distribution equipment? It's going to be people like me who can't do algebra that will put it back together again. Yeah. Well, that's something I'm very concerned about now because I'm seeing uh, I've never passed an algebra class and uh, it's too abstract. And, and there was a quirk in our educational system that enabled me to avoid it when I was in college and then get through statistics. I had to tutor, tutor, tutor. I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. I couldn't do the math. I had to drop a biomedical engineering class. I had to drop a physics class. But there's a lot of contributions that visual thinkers can do. There's certain things we're very good at. Mm-hmm. And and I'm, I'm seeing kids just uh, flunking out of high school because they can't do algebra. And, and uh, they're going nowhere. They're getting addicted to video games and they're going nowhere. They're not getting decent jobs. And that's, I don't want to discuss all this other political hot potatoes and have that interfere with the things yeah. I really care about now. But it is the sort of um, situation in which a lot of people find themselves feeling lonely in their autism, isn't it? Because they, they don't have um, a, an easy way to, to handle these kinds of subject matters. Um, well, what I learned very early on, yeah. and there's a very important scene in the movie where I go up to the editor of the farm arrangement and I get his card because I knew if mm-hmm. I wrote for that magazine, it would help my career. And I got respect for writing very accurate articles about the cattle feeders meeting, for example. I'd summarize the speeches absolutely accurately. And I got yeah. recognized for that. I learned how to sell my work, to sell my work and not myself. Okay, here's one of my... So a cattle ha- a buffalo handling facility I designed. There's one of my drawings. It's in, yep. it's in thinking in pictures. And I learned to sell my work and not myself. And when I showed people my drawings and pictures of completed projects, I got hired. I got recognized for my work. Yep. And that's what I learned how to and, do that really so, early on. Hmm. Uh, and so you uh, used the... Uh, showing people your work as a way into uh, a much more productive kind of career that, that right. gave you a, a chance then to to make friends and to to find your way. Well, one of the things is that uh, you know meatpacking plants are factories, and this all the stuff I work on is called industrial process of uh, industrial process equipment. You can do it without an engineering degree. I've done a yeah. ton of engineering. But I had to go in a field that didn't require an engineering degree. But also, that seems to be something that. Well, I used to when I used to. If you watch the movie, I'd yeah. go over the Scottsdale feed yard, and there's the scene there where they put the bull testicles on my vehicle. I used to drive by this big Motorola electronics plant when I went there. I knew I could never work there. Couldn't do the math. Yeah. Uh, and this seems to be uh, something that um, Elon Musk has kind of followed with when he hires people for SpaceX or Tesla. Uh, he often says, we're not looking for people with specific degrees. We just want people who are willing to learn. Well, and, and Elon Musk is really visual. If you read Ashley Vance's book, yeah. he could do computer programming, but he was not a, a top notch computer programmer. He was much more visual and like he had the spacesuits made by a costume designer because he wanted them to look cool. Where you look yeah. at something, you look at the inside of the space station. That was done by pure engineers. That exercise machine looks like a junkyard someone did in their garage. It works. Oh yeah. But it it you know you look at the space station and there's wires hanging out all over the place and everything. It works. Mm-hmm. But, but you compare that with the inside of the crew dragon. Exactly. Yeah. You see, he wants it to look nice. And and when you look at pictures of his rockets against a sunset, you know he's fulfilling a childhood dream. He's building a childhood dream. You see, I can relate yeah. to that. And it's something and, you know, to aspire to. I get, a, to, I get emotional about doing really cool stuff. But what would happen to Elon Musk in today's educational system 
you know, fortunately, um, he grew up learning how to work. I'm seeing a lot of, um, of uh, kids on the autism spectrum where they'll do well in school, but they don't learn any working skills. Yeah. And, and then, they, you know, they can't hold jobs. Elon Musk was badly bullied in school. This is all in Elon Musk in the in Ashley Vance's book and other publicly available sources. He was punched in the mouth. He had his nose smashed completely and shoved down the stairs. He didn't have an easy childhood. Yeah. Um, and certainly there are plenty who would um, empathize with that, having been in uh, you know, not too dissimilar situations themselves. No, a lot of people have gotten have gotten uh, bullied and and one, when I was in my 20s, one of the things that motivated me to do the dipping vat projects that was shown in the HBO movie, Temple Grandin, I had a big motivation to prove I was not stupid. A lot of people thought I was stupid. I wanted to prove it wrong. Indeed. And I suppose it's the same for anybody who's in a sort of more um, unusual corner of society or a more unusual way of thinking that, you know, that the mainstream, as you might call it, would refer to to um uh, the you know those who are at the more extreme end or the more unusual corners as being um as as they called you a retard or as the, you know uh, any other names they might want to throw and they don't really think about how useful somebody can be because of their differences um well, until it's perhaps a bit on the late side really to do anything about it well i've learned that um as I've studied the science of the different kinds of thinking and looked at all the people I've worked with, I've done work with every major meat company in the U.S. I've been out on, mm -hmm. I spent 25 years involved with heavy construction. And I went back and I kind of put every job that I've worked on where I spent considerable time on a construction site on a spreadsheet in my mind. And my kind of thinker, in every plant I ever worked with, it doesn't matter what company owned it. Uh, my kind of mind is a clever engineering department. Think very clever uh, packaging equipment, mechanically clever equipment. That's what the visual thinkers do. I worked with um, clever visual thinkers that would definitely be autistic. They had 20 patents and owned a great big metal fabrication company. And then the mm -hmm. more mathematical engineer, we need we need the whole team. They do the boilers and refrigeration. They'd make sure the yeah. snow load wasn't going to cave the roof in or the wind load. They'd power and water requirements. So in order to make this big complicated factory, you needed both my kind of mind and the clever engineering department. And you need the more mathematical engineer to do the boilers and refrigeration and infrastructure of the building. And you have to have the whole team. And in the last few years, um, we're, we've actually lost some skills. Um, in 2019, I went to a state-of-the-art poultry plant. Uh, I didn't do any design work on it. I was just working on animal welfare. I went to state-of-the-art pork plant, and all of the clever engineering equipment, like a whole floor full of it, was imported from Europe, yeah. Holland, Denmark, Italy, because they've kept their skilled trades. You know, in the U.S., we've tended to get more kids going to college and kind of poo-poo the skilled trades. But the high-end skilled trades make the clever engineering department. And they're extremely yes. important part of large engineering projects. And accidents like Fukushima would have never happened if a good visual thinker mm. had been there and said, you've got to put watertight doors on that thing. And if they put exactly. watertight doors on it, it would not have flooded. It would not have burned up, period. Yeah, it was. I can't was design a nuclear been... reactor, but all I know yeah. is that an electric pump for emergency cooling is not going to run underwater. Yeah, it's a little bit of common sense, that, isn't it, to say the least? I think visual thinking is common sense. And I'm very concerned that we've got an educational system that's screening out a lot of the of the uh, visual thinkers. I just had a very sad email just the other day from a, a, a beginning college student that to become a wildlife biologist, he's going to have to take calculus. You don't need calculus to be a wildlife bi biologist. Now, if you're going to cal calculate orbits and get the Perseverance rover to Mars, you will need calculus for that. To build the cameras yeah. that took the beautiful pictures you probably need my kind of mind. Mm -hmm. You see, so you need the whole team. You, yes. 
Absolutely, you do. And uh, it, it, we, we need a very diverse um, humanity, really, in general. Absolutely. We need everybody. To we need have a whole a, team. Uh, yeah. They have complementary yeah. skills. You need the whole team. And, and diverse minds, and when you have diverse minds on a project, and you, and you recognize what the different diverse minds bring to a project, you can work in great teams. Um, I've worked with, on some very good research. Mm. And with that, I don't touch statistics. Yeah. I with, work really closely with a statistician, mm. but I work on the methods part of the experiment because that's the part where I see it. And it's really important because um, you got to describe your methods. Because, for example, the way you shake your cancer cells and your cancer research can totally change your results. So you better say exactly Indeed. what machine you shook them on. Yep, and uh, with with all your um, diverse people working together, I mean that's that's essential really to do something like make life multiplanetary, um, get people to um, live on other planets like Mars, etc., um, as well as on Earth, so that we're not just putting all our eggs in one basket. Uh, and so, I, I, one thing I've always thought seems like a bit of common sense that a visual thinker can see that not everybody seems to be able to see is that uh, at the moment, intelligent life on Earth is basically represented by humans plus a bunch of animals that have high intelligence but don't really have a way to apply it. And uh, it would be nice if we could have a greater diversity, I think, of, of intelligent species that are able to adapt to different things. Um, so that's one of the things that fascinates me and uh, really gets me up in, in the morning. But um, uh, tell me, uh, because obviously you've you've had some experience working in psychology and applying your visual yes, thinking I have, to that. Yeah. Um, have you heard of the term species dysphoria before? No, I haven't. But I will tell you something. I have another interesting paper that I've read. I mentioned earlier in this interview, autism is a true continuous trait. There's no black and white dividing line between autism and non-autism. There's a very interesting paper called Solitary Mammals as a Model for Autism. Okay, let's take, for example, the big cats. You know, lions, tigers, panthers, leopards. Yeah. Lions live in social groups. Panthers and leopards are more solitary. Well, there's an mm -hmm. overlap there with autism. The oxytocin system's not as strong in the panthers or the leopards. You know, there's genetics there that overlaps with autism. Now, the question I want to ask, if the lions were doing the diagnosing, maybe the leopards would be considered having a dis disability. Yeah. There's two papers I want you to read. Solitary mammals is a model for autism, and the other paper is genomic trade-offs are autism and schizophrenia the steep price for a human brain. Hmm. I, I see. Uh, so, uh, speaking of animals, if you could be any animal, what animal would you be? Well, I can see, see being a, a really friendly dog that gets a lot of chance to do a lot of things. I can tell you one dog I probably wouldn't want to be. One that just stays locked up in the house all day. Probably wouldn't want to be that dog. One of the things that's been good about COVID is the dogs have never had it so good. They've gotten more attention. I guess so. Um, I think it's, it also so, depends yeah. upon the animal, like like where I was living, too. I mean, there's some cattle uh, that, that they live a great life. It, 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 hmm. let's look at where the animal's living, too. Yeah, take a look in India, for example, how they treat cattle there. It depends. Some of them don't get fed anywhere near enough. True. Um, but some of them are treated as, as utterly sacred, aren't they? And, you know, it's, uh, it must be a good life. <laughs> I haven't been to India, so I've, really, I've only seen pictures of it. And I could think of animals I probably wouldn't want to be. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I can think of situations with cattle where where I could see being a cattle and living out in a ranch somewhere and really having a good life. It's other place they have me keeping me somewhere else where it would be a bad life. Yeah. And it's just down to uh, coincidence. Same and... things with people. I mean, you've yeah. got some people that are living a really hard, difficult life. Indeed. So, uh, I mean, if, if you um, encountered um, somebody who had uh, decided uh, to use modern gene editing technologies to 
to alter themselves um, in visible ways um, to combine perhaps animal and human traits. How would you sort of feel about uh, about m- meeting somebody like that? What would your perspective be on that? I'd have to meet them. Hmm. You, you would reserve well, I would not. I would not do these experiments because of the. You know, there's going to be ethics. I mean, there was a baby that got gene edited, and the scientist was fired. So, yeah. Uh, the other thing, thing is, I'll tell you right now, I avoid controversial things because right yeah. now, at the age of 74, one of my biggest things I'm working on right now is I'm just so concerned about visual thinkers getting screened out of the educational system. We need visual thinkers to solve environmental problems, not just complain about them, actually solve them. Yeah, I've been yep. reading a lot of stuff on sustainability, um, you know, carbon capture technology. We've, we've got to get people to solve problems, not just, you see, the problem with the politicians, and I'll talk about this in a generality, is I think most of them are verbal thinkers, and they, they do a lot of dumb stuff because they actually don't know how to implement. Yes. They don't know how to agree. implement. Okay, so you have a big policy about something, but they have absolutely no idea how they are going to implement it how are you actually going yeah. to do it one thing i have to say about the 50s well, government did things we built the interstate highway system in the 60s it went to the moon we did stuff now the politicians just fight and they don't do anything except fight over nothing perhaps because then they're not seeing the bigger picture so to speak well all they're interested in getting reelected. Uh, the other thing that affects mm. me, I spent 25 years in heavy construction where I would sell a job, do the drawings and design it, supervise mm. construction, start it up and make it work. And one of the things about being in construction, it's all about outcomes. So I see a kid now in high school, you know, maybe, you know, maybe fully verbal on the spectrum. I want to see that kid get out and get a fun job. I've worked with um, people that are undiagnosed autistic, some of the smartest inventors with tons of patents that I ever worked with. I'd like to see them get out and do those sorts yeah. of things, not just end up in the basement playing video games. And these people that are in the basement playing video games, they're not um, getting great jobs making video games. In fact, Elon Musk was interested in video games, but he was making them and selling them. Another advantage that Elon Musk had, he's just old enough have avoided the most addictive video games hmm. yeah because i checked out what he would have been playing it would have been donkey kong or whatever and mario the plumber yeah i would agree there um i, I think i was lucky enough to avoid some of the most addictive ones well to, it's uh, a real problem yeah. if they were getting fabulous jobs in the video game industry i would have a much more positive opinion but they're not hmm. and they're not learning programming or any stuff like that um, obviously, there's there's some um, arguments to be made for video games. For example, take a look at um, Elon Musk's perspective on Kerbal Space Program. It's a more sort of productive kind of game, though, isn't it? Well, yeah, and, they, and the games that – the other thing about the games that he would have played is they used to break all the time, and you get the blue screen of death, and you'd have all this code on it. I call it a computer showing its guts. Then, of course, someone like yeah. Elon Musk is going to get interested in that blue screen of death. It's going to be the blue screen of knowledge for him because he's going to want to find out what all that weird code is on it. And the computers don't do that anymore. It just freezes. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't show you its guts anymore. And I think he was can... doing programming and he sold a game. Uh, he actually tried to open the game store in his shopping mall and he was yeah. too young to sign the lease. But Oops. you see, that's having that entrepreneur spirit early. See, that's another thing that helped him to be successful, because when he was a kid, he was selling stuff. Uh, yeah, that's a so, worth skill. Indeed, um, it's it's definitely worth remembering. So, I think we've um, covered all of the questions I was going to ask you. Uh, now, do you have any questions for me or for the Freedom of Form Foundation or our listeners? Well, I just want to see different kinds of minds work together. The first thing you have to do is realize that different ways of thinking exist. Like it was a shock to me when the speech therapist told me that when I when she thought about a church steeple, all she saw was that. You see, where I see specific pictures, mm. um, that was an absolute shock. That was my first inkling when I was in my third, late thirties, 
that there was different kinds of thinking. So your first step is realizing it exists. And I've given these talks on the different kinds of minds uh, to many different um, uh, <clears throat> uh, big corporations. And it's sort of like a light bulb's going off in their head. Yeah. And then I talk about how, where the skills are complementary. And, and I've, I've been looking up some interesting studies on how industrial designers, which would be more of the visual kind of thinkers like me, and more mathematically trained engineers go about approaching design work. And when you put the teams together and they know where each type of mind contributes, then you really got really productive teams. But the first step is you have to realize they exist and yeah. the way they approach problem solving is different. Yeah. So do you think that you can um, reach a point where um, the education system is behaving better about, um, you know, allowing people to uh, use their different skills together um, and where it can, you know, allow people like you to flourish? Well, I think um, part of the problem is I think some people <clears throat> um, think that mathematics like calculus and algebra are essential for thought. They're not. They're, you know, can be used as part of, okay, if you're going to do chemistry, which is something I'm not going to be doing, or you're going to be doing physics, yes, you need to have that math. But you also have to have the visual thinker like me to say, hey, put watertight doors on Fukushima. Yeah. It would have saved it. Exactly. So do do you think that you're going to reach a point within your lifetime where um, the education system seriously improves in that regard and makes it much easier? Well, the other thing that I've done... I've seen people in my industry uh, come right out of a low-income background, get a job on the line at, at a client. Big corporations, one advantage of them is that you've got a lot of flexibility to move up, learn every job, gravitate over towards the maintenance shop. Fifteen years later, they're building a new plantation. They get to play with Legos, but they're big, giant ones, and they use a crane to pick them up. Very cool. I have seen people yeah. do that. That's the back door. And I remember talking to one family um, down south, and their kid was flunking out of high school. He couldn't do algebra. So what do you do? I said, there's an Amazon warehouse close enough for them to walk to. You get a job there. You learn every job on the floor. And then when things break, you fix it. You can design the next warehouse. That's what I would do. If someone put me in in a time travel thing, and I had all the knowledge I have now, that I'm 18 years old and I flunked out of high school and I can't do algebra, but I have all the knowledge I have now. That's what I would do. I'd build the next. Yeah. And I'm, and I'll be approaching it a lot differently now than I would have when I was 18. I didn't have enough data in the database to make really good decisions about things. But now you would, you would take things back to first principles. Yeah. Well, I, there's the back door. And I've worked with a lot of companies and I've seen some very successful people that got in the back door and they got in by showing their work. And then they ended up patenting yeah. stuff and there is a back door. And That's, half um, of all good jobs are through the back door. And then you get a chance to do your chance to show off your work and but they're gonna make yeah. you pay your dues. You're gonna have to unload a pile of trucks and work your butt off and learn every job on the floor. And then when something breaks, you save them. Now you're valuable. I've seen little shops form where they make something for a factory and the factory likes it. And then they have them make something bigger for the factory. And the little shop grows into a big shop because I've been in the industry now for 50 years. What's happening now, since we've taken so much skilled trades out of the schools, is that the little shops aren't forming anymore. So then when, so the people I worked with are all retired. And they're not getting yeah, replaced. They're having a horrible time getting people to fix factories. Who's going to fix electric um, electric towers and stuff like that when storms wreck them? It's not going to be the mathematicians aren't the ones who are going to be fixing them. It's going to be my kind of mind. You need us. Yep. And so that has been a fascinating conversation. And thank you ever so much for your time. And yeah. uh, I, I really think we could, you know, we could talk some more for sure, but um, we do have to keep in mind that this is a, a podcast of limited length and you have limited okay. time Okay, and hopefully with when you moved your route closer to your router, now you know how to make a better signal now. Uh, okay, so that has been a wonderful interview uh, with... Professor Temple Grandin, thank you ever so much for joining us.
Well, it's been great to talk to you, and thank you for having me on your podcast. You're most welcome. And uh, I've been Atanasa Kitsune. This is the Freedom of Form Foundation podcast. Have yourselves a lovely rest of your day, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>